Last week, I began by mentioning or pointing to an illustration regarding a family being rescued from an, uh, a burning hotel room. And that the natural response to the ones who rescued that family from certain death and the flames of the fire would almost certainly be one of great appreciation and thanks for them being rescued. In the providence of God, there was this past week in Tampa a very large apartment fire where several units of a complex were just engulfed in flames. And the whole top floor of this area of the apartment complex was flaming and burning. But everybody got out. And in large measure due to some, because this happened at 4 o'clock in the morning, so in large measure due to some who went to door to door and knocked on the door and made sure that the people woke up and got out and everybody got out safely. What do you think would be the reaction of those who were sound asleep until they heard that pounding on the door and were awakened from their sound sleep? What would their reaction be to that one or those who knocked on their door and saved them from possible death? Certainly the natural reaction would be one of appreciation. Appreciation and thanks to the one who saved you from possible death. Now I need you to keep that in mind as we continue on in our study from the Word of God. Because I say unashamedly to you that it is biblical truth that those who have not only been saved from a fire or from material damage, but those who have been saved from the flames of hell will have a real, a natural, a response to the one who has saved them. That's where we are in our study on forgiveness. Having seen first the essence of forgiveness, and we spent several weeks considering what that is, that all men are sinners. All men are lost and dead in their sins and their trespasses, and their greatest need is to have their sins forgiven. For you cannot go to heaven without your sins being forgiven. We went from there to see the existence of forgiveness. That is, we see in God His alacrity, His willingness and eagerness to forgive sins. We see in Christ His authority to forgive sins. As He said even to the one that we read about a few moments ago, your sins are forgiven. How could He do that? He could do that because he was indeed the very promised Messiah, the divine Son of God who dwells among us. True God, true man. Jesus had authority to forgive sins. And then we looked last at that section to the activity of Christ, him giving his life on the cross to actually pay for your and my sin debt. Now we are beginning our consideration 
of this third major area, having seen the essence of forgiveness and the existence of forgiveness, today we see the evidence of forgiveness. And this is in you. This is what will be seen in those who actually have been forgiven. And we turn to the scripture and understand that when one has been saved and when they recognize and realize that they were dead in their trespasses and in their sins, that they were lost without God and without hope, and then Christ saves them by His grace, there will be evidence in the life of that person, I see. That when they understand what Jesus has done, they will have the evidence of that in their lives. Now, the first area that we're looking at, the first reaction that I have chosen to study is what we would call heartfelt appreciation. There will be love for the one who has saved you. Love will be manifested in the lives of those who have been saved and forgiven of their sins. Now, I say that, and it's easy to say that, but what I want for us to see is if it's in the Scriptures or not. That's why I invite you to turn again to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. As we examine the first example of this that we will see from the Scriptures, we began looking at this last Lord's Day, and I kind of want to pick up with it again. This first text deals with a known sinner who shows her love and appreciation to the Savior. Now, I read this to you a few moments ago in your hearing as we saw this one who was called a known sinner by Simon, the one whose house Jesus was visiting. In verse 39, he says that this person, this woman who is a known sinner, she's a sinner. Everybody knows this one. And so here she is doing what she was doing, anointing Jesus' feet, weeping at his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And what I want for us to know that this is a display of her affection to Christ, but it does not come catching Jesus off guard. As we began last week, we said that this was a display of omniscience from sovereign God, even Jesus. We said, first of all, in verse 38, her response was that of love and affection, but that she did not do so in order to gain forgiveness, but that she was doing this in response to having received forgiveness. We noted in verse 39 that although Simon said, if Jesus knew who this was, the fact of the matter is, Jesus did know who this woman was. Jesus knew because he is God, omniscient, all-knowing God. He knew who the woman was. And he then speaks to her as one who has been forgiven. Because we said even last week that no one comes to the Father unless he is drawn. So here in chapter 7, 
We have our Lord Jesus knowing who this woman was. Because we pointed out from the scriptures and we looked at several passages, including Matthew chapter 11 last week, that God knows who will come to him. Even in that great chapter where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Just prior to that, in that chapter, he says that only those who the Father wills to know the Son will come. And we saw from John chapter 6 that only those who are drawn by the Father will come to the Son. And so Jesus knew who this woman was. Jesus knew that she would be there, and Jesus knew why she was there. She was there to be forgiven, and Jesus knew that she was forgiven. That's what the language all throughout this passage indicates, that as our Lord spoke to Simon, even in giving that parable of the two debtors, it's apparent that Jesus knew that this woman was indeed forgiven. Forgiven. Now I want to pick up here where we left off last week. We had just begun to consider the contrast between her response to our Lord Jesus and the response of Simon to our Lord Jesus. And we have that shown in what we read and what she did and what Simon does not do. But I want to pick up by looking at what Jesus teaches to Simon. After Simon says to himself in verse 39, if only Jesus knew who this woman was, who was touching him. Then Jesus says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he goes on to give the parable, commonly called the parable of the two debtors. Simon, listen to what I'm going to teach. Verse 41, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Now, a denarii, by the way, or denarius, was the equivalent of a day's wages. So this one guy owed almost two years in debt. And the other guy, 50 days. Both were a lot, but of course one was a lot more. And so Jesus says when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Now Simon the Pharisee answered and said, Well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Now here's what Jesus says. And what I want you to know is that as Jesus says this, He's setting him up. This is a huge setup that Jesus is giving or doing for Simon. Jesus says to Simon, which one forgave more? And Simon answers, the one who was forgiven more. And so Jesus says what? You have judged correctly. Can you see this guy in your mind? Can you see this smug guy going, (laughs) see, I'm a Pharisee. I know this stuff. I got all this. I'm a a man who's educated. I'm a man who's smart. (laughs) See, Jesus, I know what you're teaching. 
And right away, Jesus says, Simon, look at this woman. Verse 44. And you notice he uses the exact language that Simon used in his mind back in verse 39. Remember verse 39? The Pharisee who had invited him said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman was. That's what he said to himself. So Jesus shows, yes, indeed, I'm a lot more than a prophet. I am God, and I know the hearts and the minds of men. And he says, do you see this woman? Same language. And then he goes on to show that that woman was more righteous than he was. That Jesus shows Simon and all of the people who were there before him that Simon was a hypocrite. Simon was an unworthy hypocrite. Jesus tells him, you're absolutely right, and immediately turns to the woman and uses the exact language that he used, and Jesus showed him and all the other guests, and you and me and all the world, that Simon was a hypocrite. And he points to three areas and turns Simon's own self-righteousness against him. Simon proves his own heart by his reaction, or should I say his lack of action, or his inaction, or his indifference to Jesus. Now I remind you that we began looking at this last week, so again, these are three common customs, or three common greetings that would be used of people who would come into a Jewish home. The first one, verse 44, turning to the woman, do you see her? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Remember, you'd walk down the dusty roads of Judea, of Jerusalem, of the cities around, and your feet would get dusty. The rest of you may not be dusty or dirty, but your feet would get dusty. And so it was a common practice when you came into a house for a servant or even the master of the home to show kindness and wash the feet of those who would come. He didn't do it. Common practice for a guest, especially an invited guest, which Jesus was. He did not cleanse Jesus' feet. But look at what she did. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Normally, of course, she would have a basin of water and a towel. She used her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. What did Simon do? Nothing. What did she do? an expression of adoration and love. Next, verse 45. You gave me no kiss. This too, a common 
expression at the entrance of the home to one who would be greeted by a kiss. You find it in the Old Testament in many places that they would greet one another with a kiss. Paul says it in his epistles, greet one another with a holy kiss. Sometimes we give a hug. Sometimes we give a kiss. But it is an expression of friendship. Simon didn't do it. And I say to you, as I said last Lord's Day, that in so not doing, he gave no greeting to Jesus. He disrespected him. And as if to say that Simon had already prejudged, as we saw again in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he had already determined that Jesus was unworthy of his expression of friendship. Didn't wash his feet, didn't greet him with a kiss. But what did she do? The end of verse 46. But she has anointed my feet with perfume. I want to point something out to you again. If you look back again to verse 37. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 37. In the city was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. She knew exactly what she was going to do. She brought that perfume on purpose, intentionally. It was premeditated, premeditated expression of love to Jesus. And here Jesus even says, she has anointed my feet with perfume. The next one, verse 45, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So she was not just giving him a kiss of greeting at the door. She was kissing his feet. Now you did not anoint my head with oil. The anointing of oil was again common. We read about it in that familiar Psalm 23 where we read, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And she, verse 37, brought on purpose that perfume to anoint Jesus. So she shows by her reaction to Jesus her love and her appreciation. She showed that she was forgiven by her sins. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, verse 47 and verse 48, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. Just like in that parable he told her. Just like in that parable that Jesus told to Simon. She had been forgiven much, and so she loved much. I want to ask you a question right here before we even move on. What is the implication of what Jesus is saying to Simon there? Simon, she, her sins have been forgiven. 
The implication is, Simon, your sins have not been forgiven. Her sins are forgiven. You know how you can tell? Look what she's doing. Your sins have not been forgiven. You know how you can tell? Look what you are not doing. There was no response of love and affection for the Savior given by Simon. There was no evidence that he was forgiven. He did nothing to show love to the Savior. And so Jesus says to her, Her sins have been forgiven. Her sins are forgiven, not his. My people, I say to you, by your reaction to Jesus, you will know whether you are saved or lost. She showed that she was forgiven, and Simon showed the opposite. What is your response to Jesus? What is your response to forgiveness of sins? If you have been forgiven, you will love the forgiver. If you have been forgiven, you will love the Savior. If you have not been forgiven, you will come even to church week by week with Simon's reaction of total indifference to the Savior. That's just another church service. Who cares? Just another singing of hymns, preacher talk. But there won't be any genuine heartfelt love and appreciation for what Christ has done on the cross because He hasn't done it for you. If you have been forgiven, there will be evidence. Look now, if you would please, to verse 47 again in this text. Because I don't want you to think that he goes on to say here, as he says to Simon, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Don't think that he's saying to Simon, you're a little saved, and she's a lot saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not telling Simon, you're a little bit saved. No, don't think that Simon was even close to being saved. But Simon was saved in his own mind. Simon thought he didn't need forgiveness from Jesus because he was already good. He was already righteous. Jesus is not saying to him, you're a little bit saved or even close to saved. Jesus is showing by his indifference that he missed everything. He missed the whole point of what Jesus was teaching. That his condition shown by his indifference was that of being lost. 
Now I want you to also think of the fact that Simon was a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was not just a churchgoer, or should I say a temple-goer. Simon was a leader of the temple. He was one of the top guys, a teacher in Israel. And Jesus is telling him, your religion and your status within the Jewish religion means nothing if you are indifferent to the Savior, if you are indifferent to the Messiah. If there is no evidence of your forgiveness, then you are not saved. In other words, his religion was just a show. It was just a show. How many times have we said that, that that was the case with the Pharisees? Their religion was a show before men. They walked around in the robes. They needed the greeting. They needed, they prayed their prayers for people to say they needed the accolades of men. It was a show. Your religious show is not going to save you. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, who are some of the hardest people to tell about Jesus? Religious people. People who already have their religion. They already go to their Roman Catholic church or their Methodist church or their Lutheran church or even their Baptist church, but they're lost as can be. Mormons have their religion. Islam has their religion. Pentecostals have their religion. And they're stuck in them. And they're lost in them. Simon was totally religious. And totally lost. He had no forgiveness of his sins. And how do I know? Because he had no love for the Savior who forgives sins. This is what Jesus is teaching. The difference between genuinely saved men and women and hypocrites. Church hypocrites. The woman was thought to be a sinner, but she showed she loved Jesus and her sins were forgiven. Simon thought that he was already forgiven, but he was lost. There are a lot of people that walk around in churches who might look saved, who might think they're saved, but you can tell that they're not the genuine article. And one of the ways you could tell is they don't have heartfelt love for Christ. Love that manifests itself, as we will see, to the love of the brethren. Love that will manifest itself to service to Christ, to worship to Christ, just as this woman was doing. Worshiping Jesus. I go crazy when people tell me that they're saved, that they're saved by Jesus, and they don't go to church. They don't worship. I can worship on the golf course. No, you can't. I had people in a church like that. Not this church. You see, when you have a love for Christ, it will manifest itself into action and evidence. And the greater you, the more you know about God and 
all that He has done for you, the greater your love will be to Him. Every day, every day we begin to realize more and more how sinful we are. And every day that shows us more and more how wonderful is our Savior. So every day our love grows deeper for the One who has saved us. You see, there's a whole lot of people in the world who will say, I'm saved, I believe in God. And they may be nice and they may be religious, just like Simon. But the question is, do you love Him? Do you love Him? Do you love Him for saving you? For forgiving you? Do you love Him enough that you as this woman would literally fall at His feet and kiss His feet, weep at His feet. That's why we pray oftentimes that God will do a mighty work, a great awakening, that men would fall on their faces before the living God. Even as this woman kissed His feet. This is love. Evidence of forgiveness. And even though each one of us is a sinner, the evidence of our love for Christ rises above and we strive to be holy and we strive to be sanctified in our walk before Him because we love Him. Do you love Him? Do you love Him today? If so, we'll know. There will be evidence. But I move on from here and I look and ask the question, why would you love Him? Why love Him? Because of what He says to her, Your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, and so she's been forgiven much. Verse 48, Jesus says to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Why love Him? Because He forgives your sins. Why love Him? Because of the activity that He did to forgive your sins. He went to the cross and gave His life. He shed His blood That you would be redeemed. And remember what redeemed means. Set free from the bondage of sin because of the debt paid by another. He paid the debt. He set you free. Didn't you love Him for that? Don't you love Him for that? You get rescued from a fire. You're going to be thankful for a fireman. It's a natural response. But Jesus rescues you from the fires of hell. It's a natural response. It's evidence that you love Him. Now, beyond Simon's hypocrisy toward this woman, and beyond Simon's indifference towards Jesus, his invited guest, right from this text, what was Simon's response to Jesus' teaching? Remember, Jesus gave this parable of the two debtors, One who was forgiven much 
and one was forgiven little. Who would love more? And Simon goes, oh, I know this. I got this one. The one who was forgiven much. Jesus says, you're right. Now, then Jesus shows the woman and her response as opposed to his. So what is Simon's response to Jesus's teaching? Response to Jesus's lesson, because people, this is vital. Because what you are doing now, what we are right now engaged in is hearing Jesus, hearing a lesson from Jesus. So what was Simon's response? Do you think maybe Simon said to himself, well, you know what, uh, um, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is right. Uh, um, I, I must be wrong. I, I think I'm a hypocrite. I, I should repent. Is that what Simon did? I mean, we've got to figure out what did, what did Simon's response, what was Simon's response? To, did he say to himself, you know, Jesus is right. I should apologize to him for my lack of action. <laughs> Not at all. Guys like Simon are predictable. I'll show you what his response was in a minute, but let me show you what Simon's like. Turn over a couple of pages. Chapter 18. Same gospel, Luke's gospel. Chapter 18. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a guy named Simon, and the other, a tax collector. All right, all right. You trust me? Okay. I like it when you see it with your own eyeballs, though. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. You can call him Simon. And the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Can't you see this? This is Simon. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, or let me change that. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this woman that we all know is a sinner. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all I get. That's Simon. I thank you that I'm not like this woman who's down there kissing your feet, anointing your feet with oil, and wiping your feet with her hair as she weeps on your feet. I'm glad I'm not like her. She's a sinner. But I... Am a righteous man. Why? I even tithe. I fast twice a week. I tithe on all I get. I am a righteous guy. I don't need to be forgiven. Now you put that back into chapter 7. That's Simon. That's what Simon is like. So when Jesus teaches him about this lesson of forgiveness... Does Simon say, oh, yes, I am a hypocrite. I'm sorry, Lord. No, Simon says in verse 49, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Simon disputed Christ's authority. 
Simon rebelled against who Jesus was. Simon withstood the obvious Christ who was in his midst. And rather than repenting and turning from his hypocrisy and his sins, he was so religious that he could not see the Messiah right in front of him. He was so lost in keeping the letter of the law, so religious, yet going to hell because he refused to hear what Jesus said and clung to that teaching that he had that this can't be God. This can't be the Messiah. He has got to be a blasphemer. That was Simon's response. I have known so many people over the years, as some of you have as well, I'm sure, who are so religious and they cling to their pattern and their ways. We've always done things like this in this church, preacher. We don't want it like that. We don't want to hear this preaching from the Bible stuff. Just tell us about Jesus and make us happy. I have known people so religious and so lost that they miss the forgiveness of Christ. As Simon here totally missed it. There are people in churches everywhere who are serving, who are studying, who are deaconing, who are singing, and they miss the forgiveness of Christ because of their religion. So Simon's only thoughts were, Jesus can't possibly be right. And his response to him was that Jesus is a blasphemer, blinded by his own self-righteousness, that he missed the truth. And he missed, more tragically, the forgiveness of his sins. Now I wrestled with uh, whether or not I would say this. I say this to you with, with tears of my own. It has been my place over the years of pastoral ministry that I have always tried or sought to bring the truth of God's Word. Now I know every preacher says that. Oh, yes, we always bring the Word of God. And yet it has been my experience that by and large that is not the case. We don't bring stories. We bring Scripture. And I fear like Simon, in many cases, in many of the churches that I've pastored, so many of the people just plain miss it. They miss what Jesus says. They miss what Jesus teaches. They miss the truth of the Word of God. Your response to what Jesus says, not what I say, but what Jesus says, shows your heart. And so you want to know whether or not you love Christ? 
Do you love His Word? Do you love to hear His Word? Even if it's an hour. What is your response to the preaching of the Word of God? People, this is serious. This is life and death. Christianity is not a show where you put in your time and you go home and think you've done your duty for Jesus this week. Do you love Him? And your love will be evident. And you won't be like some that I used to have going, Preacher, it's noon. We got to get to Denny's. But they felt like that was far more important than hearing of God's Word or hearing about Jesus. What is more important than the one you love? A few moments ago I said to you, if Jesus, if you love Jesus, would you be as this woman, kissing his feet, wiping his feet with your hair, anointing his feet? Would you do that? You go, yes, I would do that. But listen to preaching for past noon? Oh, no, I won't do that. Do you see the contrast? If you love him, you will love him. If you've been forgiven by Him, you will love Him and you will want to hear more about Him. You will be hungry for all you can get. Whitfield would preach for hours and people couldn't get enough. And I'm not suggesting that we do that. But I'm just saying, where are your priorities? If you love Him, you won't be able to get enough of His Word. You'll want it. You'll read it. You'll want to hear it preached. This woman came to Jesus because her heart was broken over her sins. And she kissed His feet out of love of sins being forgiven. Ask yourself, Is this your reaction to Jesus? No show here, folks. We're not trying to put on a show that maybe we'll look like Christians. That's the Pharisee. Oh, we don't look like Christians. We go to a Christian church. Christianity is not a show. It's genuine, heartfelt love in response to a Savior who has saved me from my sins. I'm not trying to impress people or fool people or make people think that I'm saved. I love Jesus. Come what may, whatever persecutions or problems arise, I'm never going to stop loving Him because He's forgiven my sin. And people that will be evident in your life if you love Him too. I can't get enough of Jesus. I love Him and I want to be with Him. People, I urge you this morning as we close looking at this text, as He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Forgiven of your sins, faith a gift of God,
saved by grace, that's when you go in peace. And what does that mean? Come what may, I have the peace of knowing my sins are forgiven and the love of my Savior who forgave me my sins. He's given me faith. He's given me the Spirit. He's given me life. And people will know this woman turned from her sin. It's believed that she was one of those who was at the cross. It may even have been Mary the first one that Jesus appeared to upon His resurrection. Her life was changed, evident by her love for Christ. How about you? Let's pray.